0: Thank you, Kenny. We are on a series on hospitality, hospitality being the command that God gives us as a church to uh, love strangers. Last week, we looked at uh, the Colossians passage that instructs us to um, live with wisdom toward outsiders and having speech that was seasoned with salt, characterized by graciousness, which means that the that the, the speech that we have toward outsiders uh, is, is received by outsiders as a gift. Not harsh, not judgmental, but as a gift. And that requires not only wisdom that in our speech, but wisdom in our lifestyles. It actually requires us to become good friends, friends with outsiders. And so today... Uh, kind of along these lines, we are talking about friendship. What does it mean to be a friend what is re- what does a friend require and so um, I was reading this week in the uh, the New York Times, and Arthur Brooks had an article Arthur Brooks, former president of the american in- enterprise institute and 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 a, a popular um, Social commentator and, and he had an article called "How Loneliness Is Tearing America Apart," and his argument is that um, the the loneliness in people when they feel uh, what he calls as a hole in their life, um, <laughs> one of the things that they do is fill it with angry politics. There is a strong us and them. I mean, if you if you are all aware of what's going on in our world of politics which it's hard not to be um, there is a strong us and them a strong divide Um, there are those on the inside there are those on the outside and so it's it's easy for those who lack a sense of identity who lack a sense of belonging who lack a sense of purpose to to engage and enter into this this divisiveness um, and fill that emptiness, they feel, with, with empty politics. And so he argues that part of the problem that we face in America uh, is this problem of, of loneliness. He says that we are in an epidemic of loneliness. He's a social scientist by training. Um, and he quotes, some, he quotes some studies. He says, most Americans, most Americans suffer from loneliness and a lack of significance in relationships. Nearly half of Americans say that they always feel alone or left out. And 13% of Americans say that no one, no one knows them well. Each generation seems to be getting worse. In 2018, there were 45,000 suicides in America and 70,000 people died by drug overdose. Loneliness contributing significantly to that. He argues that people don't have a place that they can think of as home, that they can think of as home. And home is not like where we grew up. He started thinking about, well, what happen if I would go back to the, to the town I grew up in? And, and the social scientist, the other one he was talking to, said, that's not the right way to think about home. Home is what they, he calls a thick community. Home is a thick community in which people know and look out for one another and invest in relationships that aren't transient. I was talking with my neighbor this week, and, and Ann and I are uh, planning to host Just um, you know, National Night Out is coming up August 6th, so for first Tuesday of every August, I believe. And so uh, we didn't get a planning far enough in advance to get the streets blocked off and all that stuff so we're just going to host a little gathering in our yard but we've got we've got a a lot of uh, apartments and multi-unit buildings on our block and we've got a lot of people that just own their homes and have lived there for a a long time some many many decades and so uh, you know there are a lot of transient people in a, on our block and my neighbor was like you know it, it's just it's hard to get to know and you don't really want to make an effort to invest in um, all the transient people and so his his ideal was to you know just let's let's just talk to the people and invite the people that have been in the neighborhood for a long time and we know who are going to stay but a lot of people are transient and we have seasons of life where we're transient uh, in a significant way Moving back home is not the answer. He says, the trick is to learning how to intentionally invest in the places we actually live. If we want to find home, this thick community, is learning how to intentionally invest in the places we actually live. It's about the neighbor that I choose to be in the community that I wind up calling home. And he argues this at the end of the article. Each of us can be happier. And America will start to heal when we become the kind neighbors and generous friends we wish we had. And so he sees hospitality, he sees friendship, he sees loving strangers developing this thick community as the solution to to much of the problems that ails America. And so we looked at a lot of Proverbs this morning on, on friendship, and, uh, and it's connection to hospitality. And I just want to make some observations uh, from, these, uh, from these Proverbs. And the first one I want to make is that we need friends. The Proverbs show that, 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 that we are people in need of support, and that requires friendship. We need people to love us. We need people to take care of us, and we long for it. It's not a it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God has designed us uh, to form thick community. He has designed us. Did something wrong? Oh, <laughs> people were snickering at something. We need friends. It's not a bad thing, and it requires vulnerability. It requires this opening up. Many of the Proverbs speak to good friends being there to support and give aid when we are in need. But one of the challenges to this, one of the challenges that we have in this epidemic of loneliness, is that there is a, we have a hesitancy. We have a hesitancy to acknowledge that we are in need. We have a hesitancy to acknowledge that we are weak. And this, this hesitancy to become vulnerable, this hesitancy to become, um, well, just to not be transparent with where we need help, is part of what creates isolation. You know, Jake talked about an unwillingness to talk about money. Well, I, I think, yeah, money is something that it's really hard for us to talk about, especially if we're not confident in our financial situation. But there are so many spheres of our lives where we don't feel confident, and, and to open up and to express the need for friendship, to express the needs for support and love, is, is, is very difficult for us to do at times. And it also is difficult to open up to vulnerability or to become close friends with somebody because, as the, as the Proverbs say in two different places, one of them we didn't read, but he says that, that it, the, the hard words or, the, or the, the hurtful words of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. To be, to be a friend is to open up yourself to correction from other people. And one of the other Proverbs says that the, it is the, the earnest counsel or the passionate counsel uh, that is sweet, that is sweet to us. We must be willing to hear a passionate, earnest counsel from other people that is corrective in nature if we are going to experience true friendship if we are going to experience true friendship and that the hesitancy that we have to open up and become vulnerable and to and to allow people to see and speak into our weaknesses is one of the challenges that we have if we're going to break through this epidemic of loneliness and create true lasting friendships this thick community thankfully Jesus provides us the resources that we need to become a to, to open up and become um, and acknowledge that we need friends. See, we can't come to know Jesus Christ, we can't come into the family of God without first acknowledging our weakness and our sin. And in fact, as we grow in our faith, we acknowledge and we see more, more weakness, more sin in our life, and, and eventually we, we can come to a point, we can come to a point where we, we can actually understand and affirm with the Apostle Paul, where he says, uh, "It is in my weakness where I become strong." Because it is, in, is when we acknowledge and, and recognize our weakness, that we're willing to accept the help from others, and we are willing to acknowledge the strength that we need from Jesus Christ. But part of, that, that, part of that, that opening up and part of that becoming vulnerable is, is the recognition that in the opening up and becoming vulnerable, we're not met with judgment, criticism, and harsh treatment, but we are met with love. And that is another thing that the gospel provides. The, 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 Jesus wants us to acknowledge and confess our sin as an acknowledgment that we need him, um, it, it, but it's not so that he can further condemn us. The gospel is there, because he, has, he is offering and opening up a place where there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so when we recognize the gospel and when we believe the gospel, vulnerability and opening up and being transparent and confession is, is walking into a place where condemnation is no longer going to be a part of my understanding of, of who God is to, to me and, and, and of God's people. And of God's people. Because Jesus has not just provided the resources through the truth of the gospel and through the Holy Spirit, but He's also provided the church. And the church is called to take upon this same orientation of grace, of friendship, in not condemning and being harsh in the, in the midst of people's weaknesses and struggles. Uh, but of providing a place where there is therefore now no condemnation, there is no judgment, there is no harsh treatment in the face of weakness. Um, I was reading this week um, a story of some of the uh, of the young girls that um, started in gymnastics training and who were under these these coaches and these doctors that um, that ended up abusing them, sexually abusing them, physically abusing them, emotionally abusing them. And they're, you know, they're in there six, seven, eight years old when they start. There's lots of hours and time and energy put into it. And, and one of, the, one of the, the dynamics that happens um, is you have this uh, adult, powerful figure. You have a, a, a young girl, and there is harsh treatment. There's harsh treatment. And what happens instead of being motivated out of love to serve these people, there becomes this desire to um, please this abusive authority, and to come to a place where they're no longer suffering this harsh treatment. So that they're they're kind of just in this cycle of wanting to please these harsh people because they want to get out from under their their judgment and please them eventually, but it never ends it's just this continual cycle of harsh treatment and abuse and these people who feel like they want they need to earn the approval of these of these harsh abusers and that cycle never ends and it's exactly opposite and we can, we all get stuck there we all get stuck there thinking that eventually i will get to a point where i can find The approval and please those who are judging and condemning me. For some reason, that is just a part of what it means to live in sin and to live in the flesh. I eventually will do it. Well, the gospel says, no, you eventually won't. You eventually won't. And you don't need to. Jesus Christ has approved us, He has justified us, and we are loved. And we are approved, and we are accepted, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that Jesus Christ has done. And so the, the gospel opens us up to this place where we can live in freedom. One of the proverbs says that um, one of the proverbs says that that uh, there is the uh, uh, you know do not enter too many times into your neighbor's house because you're going to overstay your welcome. Uh, and, and I would assume that many of us have either been that f- person who has overstayed his or her welcome or we have experienced someone who has overstayed his or her welcome. And see, the person that overstays his or her welcome is a person that is, is um, longing for belonging. And they're trying to get it from wherever they can get it. And see, the, the gospel gives us the ability to not be that person. Because the, the deep longing and the need is washed away and it, and it is gone. And, and we have an ability. That doesn't happen immediately because part of it is development maturity and social understanding. And that's where also the church comes in. Uh, we become more aware of, our, aware of ourselves and we don't have this, this deep longing and urging for belonging all the time. Because, because Christ has filled that. The second thing. So, one, we need friends, and we need to be vulnerable to accept that. The second thing is that we need to be a friend. Friendship requires reciprocity. I was, uh, I got a digital edition to the New York Times, so I read it a lot longer, or a lot more often than I did, but in another article I was reading, um, there was a story on dating apps, one of the things that they are seeing in these dating apps is that there is an increasing number of, of uh, uh, posts. I don't know exactly what they're called. Um, dating apps didn't exist when I dated. Um, but what they're noticing is that um, more and more people are, are posting that they're looking for someone with no drama, with no drama, it's both men and women, men are 10% more likely, and the, you know, they've done analyses of these dating sites, men are 10% more likely to say they don't want drama than women, but across the board, both men and women, but here's the deal, so, f- so on this particular dating site, OKCupid, uh, never heard of that one, but anyway, 47% of millennial men indicate on their posts, that they are looking for someone and don't want any drama. 47% of millennial men, 25% of Gen Xers indicate this, which is my generation, um, and then 12% of the baby boomers put this. And so what it's showing is that the, as we go down the generations into more and more of this, of this uh, post-Christian, secular, individualistic culture, um, more and more people are looking for no drama, which means, and it meant different things for different generations, um, but they're basically not wanting to enter into a relationship that is going to cause them to suffer. Suffer emotionally and having to deal with, quote, drama. Suffer from uh, previous marriages or children that they may have, you know, across the board, but basically they're saying, listen, I want a relationship that I'm receiving, and I don't want to do a whole lot of giving in regard to dealing with suffering and, and drama. And the, the author of the article, she said, it, it, this is not a real person. This is not going to be a real relationship. And I started to think about it, it's like, if you're posting on a dating app, You're expressing need. Not a bad thing, but you need to be expecting people are going to respond who are also expressing need. And so you're going to, in our pursuit of other people, regardless of the medium that we use, we are needing something. And we are going to be meeting people who are also in need of something, and we are going to have to give. Friendship requires giving. We see many of the proverbs that said a good friend meets the needs and they are there to support. But we have a a hesitancy towards sacrifice and towards generosity. We feel like we're going to be exhausted. We're gonna we feel like we're not gonna be able to meet the needs, or we feel like we're not gonna be able to endure and handle the suffering. We have a fear of being stretched too thin. But to enter into friendship and experience the kind of intimacy that we are truly longing for, and not just ourselves as individuals, but really our, our entire culture, we are, we are growing a culture that is increasingly uh, 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 at odds with true friendship. But Jesus provides these resources. Jesus befriends, which empowers us to befriend In in the gospel account that we read, when Jesus is in his last moments with the disciples, he says, "Um, I have loved you. I have been your friend. I have disclosed everything to you. Now you go and love each other. And that ordering is there, is, is intentional in Jesus's speech, because we can't give. We can't give unless we are full. We can't give with generosity and a willingness to sacrifice uh, if we don't recognize and realize that we have a Savior who has generously filled us and who will continually fill us and who promises. And this is the, this is the amazing, incredible thing about, about the gospel. And We saw it in the parable of the dishonest manager last week. It seems like Sacrifice and generosity and giving ourselves away is eventually going to bring us to a point we, where, where we can't handle it we don't have it we won't have enough, we won't be sustained, we will be in need. But the gospel um, demonstrates and proves that and, 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 and wants us to believe that in Christ we have received the full resources of heaven, chapter one of Ephesians the the resources of heaven have been poured out upon us lavishly. And all, and throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, the teaching is that, that those who recognize the resources they have in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the church and are willing to give, they will be supplied. Not just supplied with a little bit in return, but abundantly supplied so that they can continue to be a resource to others. And Jesus said that you will be be rewarded tenfold, not only in this kingdom, but in the kingdom to come. So it's, it's, it's a faith orientation that helps us to see that in Jesus Christ, we can be the type of friend that the world is that we are all needing and that the world is is really longing for and which it it needs the healing from. And part of also the resources that Jesus gives is the church, is the church. When we come into the church, we come into a people that, that Jesus Christ has been maturing through the Holy Spirit and abundantly supplying. We are comforted so that we can comfort others. And when we first come into the church, whether we are new into the faith or maybe we've been in the faith but never been a part of a real community who is functioning like a family, when we come into the church, we should, we should sense that we are around a people that are abundantly supplied and who are generous and giving in, 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 in all of their resources, time, money, energy, family, whatever, and then in this, in this community of abundance, we begin to experience the abundance of Jesus Christ, and we are matured to be a comforter, a giver, and we are then able to supply. So the church is a gift from Jesus Christ that enables us to grow and to become a friend. The third observation I want to make is that we need to be thoughtful about our friendships because they can be parasitic. Parasitic. And there's two warnings here. The first one, one of the Proverbs says, is that a man with too many companions comes to ruin. Too many friends. But the the text uses the term companion, which is different from friend, but but it's close. We can, out of a desire to be well-known, to make a name for ourselves, To overextend ourselves and and be a savior to people, we can accumulate too many companions that become essentially somewhat dependent upon us, and we will be drained. We will be drained. So the Proverbs, in terms of Solomon's observing of the way the world really works, there are people that seem to accumulate so many friends that they can't sustain it. Now, are they really friends? And that's kind of the question. But I think that, that what he's talking about here in the Proverbs is that um, we can have a desire to accumulate relationships and to feel like we've got to be friends with everybody, and that can also be filling some sort of insecurity inside of us. The more well-known we are by the more people, the more it gives us maybe a sense of, of well-being or that many people like us, and we kind of start to thrive off of all of the different contacts we have. And you obviously easily see this in the, the numbers of friends that you have on the social media accounts and these kinds of things, and, and that be, kind of comes, becomes a thing, right? And you're affirmed by the more friends that you have. Well... This isn't friendship. It's not friendship. It can be masking the true need for intimacy, and it could be masking and really holding us back from being fulfilled in the way that we really need. That's one way we can be parasitic. We can allow others to feed off of us and our desires to be known, or we may be the parasite. We may be the parasite. We may be so overwhelmed by our own need that we justify our selfishness. And we don't see the harm that we do to others because all we can see is, is the need that we have or the pain that we have or the, this fact that we're a victim. And so everything that I take and absorb from others is justified because I'm in such a desperate place. And you become a drain to others, hindering their ability to be true friends, true friends as well if they don't have the insight to see that dynamic. And so, again, the gospel Jesus Christ provides us an answer to both of these. Being stable and secure in who we are in Jesus Christ and the fact that we're known by him. The fact that we're known by him. Remember the disciples went out and they were so amazed that they could cast out all these demons And they came back to Jesus and said, "Well, we really thought that was really cool that we were able to have this power over these demons. And Jesus says, don't find any glory or satisfaction in that. Find glory and satisfaction in the fact that your name is written in the book and I know you and that you know me. If we have a stability that is found by knowing that we are a child of God, an heir of Jesus Christ, that we sit at the right hand of the Father as co-heirs with Jesus Christ, and that we are a part of the family of God with Christ as our head, it settles this need to be known widely. It settles this need that we have to accumulate a lot of friends that affirm us. It doesn't remove the need for us to have friends, but it removes the tendency that we can have to go after that as if it were our sort of savior. And it also addresses our selfishness. If the people are are honest with us as we continue to to drain them, if they are communicating to us, if they are if they are true friends, They're going to communicate to us, hey, this isn't a reciprocal relationship. You are always in this place of need, 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 and everybody's always giving, giving, giving. Jesus removes us from this place of seeing ourselves in drastic need. And people can tell us, hey, you're always in drastic need. And in Christ, we can move beyond this place of seeing that we're in drastic need and believe the gospel. And the gospel, when it says that we are complete and full and whole— we start believing. It doesn't feel like that. A lot of times what we feel are just lies and deceptions from our thoughts, from our past, from the world around us that says, you are the victim, you are always in need, here's what you need from other people. And we, and we believe these thoughts, we believe these feelings, but if we were to, to understand that we have been justified and that we are complete and that we are full, we don't so much selfishly consume everything from those around us. And the last observation I want to make is where we started in the the Proverbs reading. Four Proverbs right at the front. And this is a a very pronounced theme in the Proverbs. There are people that are poor who have no friends because they're poor. In fact, it says that their own brothers run away from them. And so... If you if you if you look across the, the 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 teachings of the Old Testament and the experience of our world and the Gospels in the New Testament as well, you see that one of the um, one of the uh, aspects of being poor um, is that you're also of a of a different different race or of a, uh, from a different country, or an immigrant. And so there's a lot of things that go into the poverty that the, that the Proverbs are talking about. Um, and so it doesn't. the Proverbs don't provide a solution. Um, the entire Old Testament, the New Testament does. There's a lot of admonition, and Lawrence went over this earlier in a series, a lot of admonition, and really a key part of Israel's mission. Uh, was to be kind to the to the poor, and there were in the laws uh, structures established so that the poor would be taken care of, and also a strong admonitions to watch out for and to care for and to not persecute the the sojourner or the or what we would call an immigrant, because they were immigrants themselves. And they were enslaved in the nation of Egypt and harshly treated. And so the people of God are to be a different sort of people. And so we have this teaching in the Proverbs that, that, that just says, Hey, listen, there's, there are um, entire sections of people, demographies of people that are poor. And it is going to push away friends. And I think that this is where the church has to take the command to show hospitality very seriously. See, I think most of us, um, I, don't, I don't know if this is the right word, most of us form friends, uh, I don't want to say haphazardly, but it, the way we form friends is usually within our, our, our families or our neighborhoods or or the, 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 the spheres that we are, are naturally in because of the structural pieces of our lives. And oftentimes, and this is a book that Arthur Brooks also wrote called Coming Apart, The State of White America, and he sh- basically shows how um, just the, the affluence of of predominantly upper class white people in America since like the 70s and 80s, um, there's just been this increasing segregation of populations due to economics. Not like intentional racism or anything like that, but just structures and economic structures uh, and systems that are in place that basically just removes um, rich people from poor people. And what, what, and this is just kind of the way things work naturally. And I think the Proverbs pick up on this natural thing. And we as the church um, have been commanded to show hospitality and, and love to strangers because unless a group intentionally makes an effort to say, you know what, we've identified a whole segment of people here that are without friends, Unless a group makes this intentional effort to acknowledge that there are problems here, and it's not just economic. I mean, if we look across the spectrum of our culture, we see um, demographies that are not doing well, that don't have the support that they need. Uh, it's racial, it's economic, it's, it's um, got to do with, with immigration, it's got to do with criminal justice. I mean, there are lots of various things that go into this, um, but there are people without the friends that they need for the support and for the healing that they need to grow. And that is where the church has to, I believe, take this intentional step to say, we have a responsibility here. Jesus shows that Concern for the poor is a priority in his life. The New Testament teaches that concern for the poor, and I'm going to use poor is very broad here, not just economic. Those who are the discarded and disenfranchised of the world. These are the people that we need to take seriously the command to show hospitality now this isn't to consume all of our efforts It didn't consume all of jesus's efforts it didn't consume all of the apostles efforts it didn't consume all of the church's efforts in the new testament and it didn't consume all of the old testament efforts either and so um it's not that this has to overwhelmingly become our mission And and that would even violate jesus's command that we are not to show favoritism to the poor But it requires our intentional effort to say, hey, here is an aspect of our calling in this world. We need to pay attention to those who are discarded and disenfranchised because of social, cultural, economic situations and extend friendship to them. And this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. He he didn't have a need... (laughs) In the presence of God in the heavens, the heavens beyond the heavens, he didn't have a need. He had a desire to love and loved. And so, and we were outside of his family because of our poverty is why the New Testament teaches that he became poor so that we could become rich. He was rich and he became poor. And so there's this model that Jesus sets in entering into the world of the poor, the discarded, the disenfranchised, in order that we can bring the riches of the kingdom to them. That is the calling that we have. And again, it is a part of this this teaching out of the Proverbs and all of the Scripture that um, moves us to love the stranger. To love those who aren't naturally in our family and friendship spheres. And I think we do this, I think we have to do this intentionally as a church, which is why we started Twin Cities Ministries in 2011, which a lot of you know. Uh part of the work that we do as a church is 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 the work of helping those who have been significantly affected by substance abuse and crime and all the other various social dynamics that go along with that. And so in our in our prayers, and many of you know this story, if you've been here for a while, we prayed, God, show us where you want us to meet the pressing needs of the world. Show us where you want to. Uh, where you want us to help the poor, the discarded, the disenfranchised, and that's when God brought uh, Seth and Gina Evans and their vision for the same thing into our church, and we began to build this. And just in this last, I don't know, this last week or two, or coming up of the next week or two, our fourth discipleship home, a fourth and a half, we have four and a half houses now, is being started in South Saint Paul. Um, and one of the big needs, one of the big needs for those coming out of a substance abuse or crime is housing is housing. And we also strongly support the ministry of Metro Hope and provide uh, programming and leadership to, to that ministry through Seth and Tim's efforts and John Shanks and Joel's. And, uh, and many of you give generously to that effort, and it is an expression for us as a church to intentionally enter into a sphere of, of, of this world, of our culture, that normally we wouldn't we wouldn't engage. In fact, one of the couples that have been significantly supporting Twin Cities ministry since the beginning, um, just, they came up and said a few years into it and said, you know, George, if if, you, if we had not been exposed to these needs through the church, if we had not been exposed to, to the people that are in, in, in need of help, we would have never Never entered into this this ministry. And it was a they were very thankful for it. And they've made a number of strategic decisions as a family uh, to purposefully not follow uh, the lifestyle that really their 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 education and and job opportunities and, and economic status would would allow them to. We need to become a thick community. We need to become a thick community. And really, again, as as, as as we conclude here, the key to understanding and the key to having the resources to enter into this is, is within Jesus' words there to, to his disciples. I have loved you. I have loved you. I have become your friend. And in becoming your friend, which is consistent with friendship, I, I have not... Um, kept anything from you. I have not kept anything from you. I've revealed to you all of what I am doing. Everything the Father has told me, I have told you. I've brought you into to my life. I have given you life. Now I'm asking you to do the same thing. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. He will dwell within you. I've promised to provide for all of your needs your your food, your clothing, your shelter. I've promised you complete joy. Now you follow my example and you love the world. Become friends with the world. That's his calling. But we don't do it out of guilt or obligation. We do it because we have experienced the love from Jesus Christ. He has given up his life. He has given up his riches so that we can have his life, and so that we can have his riches. And in having those things, we have an an abundant and never-draining well of resources to give and to befriend others with. Let me pray.